You are listening to What in the Horror with your host Lando and Tim. Welcome back to yet another episode of What in the Horror with your hosts Lando and Tim. Today we will be reviewing Lights Out from 2016 and The Haunting from 1999. So we will be starting out with Lights Out from 2016. Take it away, Tim. It uh, starts off with uh, this uh, guy named Paul Skyping with his son, Martin. Uh, late at night while he's at work at a mannequin factory. Martin tells his father that his mother, uh, Sophie, has been acting strange lately. And Paul tells Martin when he gets, uh, things will get better. Paul's assistant, Esther, comes in and uh, when, after she's locking up. And she gets told to go turn out the lights and stuff and shut down. And she, while she goes and does it, she turns out the lights in the room, a figure appears in the black room while Paul's still talking to his son. And then she turns the lights back on and realizes it disappears every time the light's on. Shows up when the light's off. So she leaves the light on and goes back and tells Paul as Paul's getting off the uh, on the phone again. He's off of the sun, but he's on the phone with uh, an important phone call talking about trying to get his wife help. And he's more upset. She goes, it's really important. He goes, so is this. So basically, and um, tells her to go home. Um, a little while later, he goes to lock up for the night is about to leave and they had these lights that are flashing on and off slowly it's kind of weird um and he's about to leave anyway and esther told him about seeing someone so he walks into the back room and checks it out eventually he comes across the same figure but it's crouched in a dark area of the warehouse as he approaches and starts to it starts to get up just then one of the lights above paul turns off and it's motion detect paul swings his arm around to get the light to come back on and now see the figure is closer at him, closer to him than he originally was. Paul sees this and runs away. As he passes through these small patches of light directly underneath, like almost circles, he's running, it's getting closer and closer. And then um, what the figure grabs his leg in the darkness part and tears his leg open, sending him uh, to the lit part of the ground with a bloody gash. Gets up and sees a figure in front of him standing in the darkness. He notices it standing right in the edge of the, edge of the darkness. He pieces together, cannot travel in the light, but only in the dark. Paul takes off again, limping away back to his office. He locks the door, grabs a baseball bat, and then suddenly the lights start flickering and eventually go out, leaving him in the dark. The handle on the door starts to jiggle and the figure tries to get in. Eventually the door opens slightly. Paul prepares for an attack, but he's suddenly pulled from behind into the dark corner and his mangled corpse is dropped somewhere on the other side of the warehouse. A few days later... Martin is about to go to sleep when he hears what sounds like his mother talking to someone. Makes his way through the hallway into a room. Martin's the son, by the way, where it appears that she's talking to someone in in the dark bathroom. Sophie uh, sees Martin standing by by her room, says, I'm sorry, did we wake you? He begins to get scared, but Sophie tells him to go to sleep. He begins to walk back to his room. He looks back to see Sophie standing in the door of her room and also sees a creepy hand in the corner of the door. Like grabbing a hold of the clenching the door, like creepy claw like hand. Then Martin runs back to his room, locks his door, and gets into bed. A few seconds later, the door handle of his room begins to jiggle. On the other side of town, Martin's sister Rebecca is hanging out with her boyfriend Brett. The next day, Martin is in the nurse's office after he falls asleep for the third time. Since school cannot get a hold of Sophie, they end up calling Rebecca in the school. She met Brett with, after a little thing too, about a sock, trying to leave a sock behind because he wanted to have a part in her life and wants to be her, officially her boyfriend. So it's kind of a little weird moment before that. But so um, it's revealed that Rebecca has a rocky relationship with her mother after her father abandoned her a few years before. 
Paul wasn't a real dad, but her stepdad. Uh, Rebecca goes to talk to Martin. He tells her he hasn't been sleeping lately. Brett drives him, Rebecca and Martin to Sophie's, his mom's. Brett stays in the car as Rebecca takes Martin into the house because he tries to go with him, and she's like, no. And as they're walking, Martin tells her that Sophie's been talking to someone named Diana. Rebecca stops walking and asks Martin what, where he heard that name from. Tells her heard her mom say it. Rebecca tells Martin that Diana isn't real, that she's someone mom made up. Sophie turns the front door and welcomes Rebecca and Martin inside. When Sophie asks why Martin is home early from school, he tells her that, uh, tells Rebecca to tell her why, and Martin heads up the room, you know, because he's not sleeping and he's falling asleep in class. Rebecca gets in an argument with her mother and finds out her mother hasn't been taking her antidepressants that they call her vitamins. Rebecca tells Sophie that she's talking to Mar- taking Martin over to her place for a few nights. Just as Martin walks up with a suitcase already ready to go, because he just went back and packed. He was not planning on staying there. Sophie begins to cry and pleads Rebecca and Martin to stay, but Rebecca takes Martin and goes to her place. Later that night at Rebecca's place, she wakes up to find Martin gone from her bed and hears a scratching noise and figures it must be Martin. She looks to find that the noise is coming and sees a figure hunched over scratching on the floor by, outside the bedroom. Well, since Rebecca lives in, above a tattoo parlor, the light of the sign above the tattoo sh- parlor shines on and off every 10 seconds or so. So it's got like this pulse to it. Rebecca can see the figure whenever the light of the sign is off and then disappears and the light comes back on. The figure notices that Rebecca is watching it. So it disappears and reappears standing up in front of Rebecca as it charges toward her and disappears as the light comes back on. Rebecca races to switch just as the light of the sign turns off. But she's unable to flip the switch in the bedroom in time. She looks around, finds Martin, uh, Martin and finds him in the bathroom. She, she flipped the switch on just in time. She looks around for Martin and finds him in the bathroom, sleeping in the bathtub with a flashlight on. I mean, it's kind of cute. He's like hugging the flashlight and just hiding in the bathtub. By the next, the next day, after taking Martin to school, Rebecca and Brett go to Sophie's. And Sophie is out running errands. Rebecca and Brett go inside. Rebecca heads upstairs where she comes across a box with information on Sophie and her past stint in a mental institution when she's a young girl. When Sophie was in the institution, she met a girl named Diana who had a rare skin disorder and could not be put out in the light. The doctors tried to experiment the experimental experimental procedure on Diana with a bunch of lights and it caused her to die, literally disintegrated her. Rebecca hears a noise in her old room and she goes to check it out. The door of her room closes and she's yanked to the ceiling by Diana. Diana, who is strangling Rebecca with her own necklace. Rebecca's screams are heard by Brett, who is able to get the door open and the light on from the hallway, the light from the hallway coming through. And Rebecca just drops to the floor. But obviously, he was out of breath and she's just attacked. Brett tells Rebecca that Sophie is coming home with Martin. So Rebecca grabs a box of information on Diana and they both flee to the back, out the back door. Later on that day, Sophie and Martin are, sp- are spending time some quality time watching an old movie. Sophie pauses the movie and tells Martin she'll be right back. All of a sudden, Sophie turns out the lights in the room. Martin gets afraid. Sophie tries to calm him down. She proceeds to tell him the story of their friendship with Diana. She tells him Diana's her friend and can only stay if the lights are turned off. In the background, you see Diana approaching behind Martin. She appears beside Martin and he freaks out and begins to cry to turn on some lights. And then he tries to do so. And Diana tries to stop him, but Sophie gets in her way and Diana smacks Sophie, knocking her down to the floor. And this allows Martin time to get to the front door and escape. And you hear 
Sophie just pleading with Diana. She, he doesn't know. He doesn't understand. So he goes to he goes to Rebecca's place. Brett goes to the store and gets gives Rebecca time to talk with Martin. Martin tells him Diana is real. Rebecca acknowledges he's telling the truth. Just then a knock on the door is heard. Thinking it's Brett, Rebecca goes to answer the door and finds no one there. Rebecca and Martin go both begin to hear Diana in the walls. Same scratching sounds that Rebecca heard before, beginning the closest to her bedroom. She slowly approaches the closet and turns on the light. No one seems to be there, but all of a sudden Diana grabs Martin's leg and tries to pull him under Rebecca's bed. But Rebecca is able to pull Martin back out. With Brett, Rebecca, and Martin, with Brett, Rebecca and Martin go back to Sophie's. Rebecca tries to convince Sophie that Diana is dead, but that her spirit's trying to kill them. But Sophie ignores them and goes upstairs to her room to sleep. Rebecca tells Martin that all three of them are going to spend the night. Brett will sleep on the couch, and Rebecca will sleep with him after he asked her to. And she goes and lets Brett know. Rebecca goes to Sophie's room and to tell her that she's spending the night. As she walks away from the bedroom door, Sophie opens the door. She tells Rebecca that she's glad that she's spending the night. Sophie grabs Rebecca's hand and slightly slips Rebecca a note. After Sophie closes the door and she's pulled back in by the dark figure. Rebecca looks at the note, which reads, I need help. Later that night, Diana cuts the power to the block. Brett goes outside to flashlight investigate as Rebecca goes to the basement with a wind-up lantern trying to figure out the fuse box because she doesn't know the power's out outside. You only know this because when Brett goes outside, you see the street lights are out as well. Martin wakes up and finds Rebecca gone. He grabs a candle and tries to go in the hallway and calls for Rebecca. Behind him, Diana appears and turns, and almost immediately, she begins to appear behind him. This time, she sends him to the floor, and she begins to drag him away, but he turns around because the candle's still lit, turns around and shines a candle in her direction, briefly sends her away, and Martin makes his way downstairs to the basement, where he finds Rebecca. Rebecca goes, if it's not the fuse, fuses, then what is it? And she realizes it's a trap, and she says out loud, it's a trap, and just then the door gets shut and locked, and they try, as they try to come back upstairs, they can't. Diana appears at the top of the stairs and slams it shut. That's how it happened. But um, Sophie begins to realize that Diana is not her friend. I, I think she kind of knew, but apparently Diana has this power to control her mind to some degree. And she's starting to come out of the fog. She calls to Diana and tells her that she cannot survive without her. Since Diana's spirit has latched itself to Sophie, Sophie goes to take her medication. But Diana smacks Sophie and comes back into the house. And here's Rebecca Martin calling out for help. Brett, Brett comes back to the house and hears him calling for help. He goes to the basement door and tries to open it. He, he turns and sees Diana down the hall of the kitchen. She begins to get closer as she shines a flashlight on her. And she disappears for a moment and then suddenly reappears, smacking him in a flashlight to the floor. Um, she begins to approach him. He grabs, a, he grabs his phone and uses that as a, as a light. With the phone in front of him, he uses it to keep her away. But soon, as the light turns off, she reappears, smacking him again, and he is able to make his way outside to his car because she um, busts his phone, smashes his phone, stomps it. But he makes it to his car, and he able is able to turn the lights on with the for the with his remote to the car, and that um, shines through, and she can't appear behind him. He takes off. So you know, you're thinking at this point, you know, that he it looks very much like he just kind of abandoned everybody. It doesn't look good. Uh, Rebecca, Rebecca and Martin are still locked in the basement. She goes through a box and uses a scrap pieces of paper to keep to keep the fire lit in the furnace going. It's for light. She leaves Martin at the furnace and looks for supplies it might be able to use. Martin finds an old ultraviolet light that get he gives it to Rebecca. 
She looks through the basement and finds writing all over the walls and handprints and everything. Um, Dana seems to have been living in the basement because of it's continually dark down there. And Dana figures out that the UV cannot harm Dana because he, she sees her down there. Thinks it's one of the mannequins with the face torn off and it turns out it's her. But it also it doesn't harm her, but it makes it possible for her to see him, for her to see Dana. Well, Brett arrives all of a sudden with two police officers. He stays outside by his car with the two police officers go inside. But they're unable to get to Rebecca and Martin out of the basement at first. But then they walk over. They they let him out. But Diana, Diana's, um, they keep telling her to make sure you use your lights and not to go uh, keep it keep lit. And Diana winds up killing one of the officers. And goes when he goes and checks the kitchen, Rebecca tries to warn the other officer. She needs a flashlight to stay alive, but the officer doesn't listen. The officer sees Diana and fires a gun at her, but only the muzzle flashes are the only time she disappears. And then as it, she gets closer and closer, just like with the lights in the warehouse, eventually she just kills the officer. Rebecca and Martin are headed out of the house, but Martin doesn't want to leave her, his mom behind. So Brett comes to the door and Rebecca tells him to keep Martin safe as she goes to get Sophie. Well, he, he grabs Martin and kind of pulls him outside because... That's the only way you can get him to go. He's refusing to leave his mom. Rebecca makes her way upstairs, but is attacked by Diana. Diana picks up Rebecca and throws her to the, off the second floor balcony, where she falls hard to the ground. She's relatively unharmed, just kind of the wind knocked out of her. She landed rough, but she made it. And Diana heads downstairs and is about to kill Rebecca. But then Sophie appears behind her with a gun from the, one of the dead officers. Sophie tells Diana that if she... After harmed any of her children, she would make her pay. Sophie turns the gun, holds a gun at her, and she goes, you can't, you can't hurt me. She goes, no, but you can't survive without me. Puts the gun to her own head and pulls the trigger. Uh, just before that, she says, don't do it, Mom. She goes, what are you doing? Uh, what are you doing, Mom? And uh, she actually says, uh, I'm saving your life, and pulls the trigger. And instantly, Diana just evaporates and disappears. Later, Rebecca goes to the ambulance with Martin Brett. And Brett comforts the two of them as the power of the streets, uh, streetlights come back on and then it fades to black. And that's it for the movie. I mean, it was had a lot going on. It really did. Nano, before I get into my thoughts on the movie, um, do you have any of the scores or anything for that? Uh, of course I do. For this movie, it had a pretty high amount of percentage. I mean, Rotten Tomato gave it a 76 with an audience score of 61. Google is at 82%. The budget for this was $4.9 million, and they made about $148.9 million. So it didn't do too bad. It's just, when it comes to my thoughts, kind of a slow-paced movie, but not as bad as some of the movies that we've reviewed in the past. At least this one had one hell of a beginning. And I mean, the father dying in the beginning of the movie. We haven't had that happen in a while. Uh, not very gory, but had some parts of the blood. But it kind of looked fake to me. The blood did in some parts of the movie. So uh, not much really happened for more than half of this movie. I mean, it was kind of a snore fest. I liked how they used the short story from the Internet to inspire this movie. Uh, it was pretty cool i mean i've seen different variations of the short story on youtube and stuff i mean they're not bad it's a great story and everything it's just not for a movie so with that being said what are your thoughts tim 
I agree. There's a little slow paced. I mean, a lot of ghost movies are, it was a good thriller, but it was just, I don't know. It was just, for one thing, I kind of wish they had at least done like a cut scene too to show because it is revealed that uh, Rebecca's dad was killed too by Diana. That's how he disappeared, but they didn't know that all this time, except for Diana says something to her. I will, I'll get rid of you. Like I'll, I'll hide you where I hid your dad or something like that. And it's like, I wish they had shown that as like a flashback, you know, that would have given a little bit more like they did in the beginning. I would have given you a nice little bump, like somewhere else in a movie that really good. Cause that was the best part. Honestly, was in the beginning. The best killing scene was at the very beginning. Cause even the cops was kind of like quick and done. It was almost flashes, a flash lights off. And then there's a body. It was uh, not like the first one. At least you saw the body drop to the floor. And then there was this, he looked pretty mangled. I I feel like they could have done more with the movie, but it's not without entertainment. There is entertainment there. So I get that why it gets decent reviews. If someone doesn't really like a lot of gore, it would be the right movie, right kind of scary movie for you. One of those thriller movies, not necessarily one of the ones that we kind of like blood and gore. I'm sorry, but it's true. Mm -hmm. We like those bloody gory movies that some people don't care for. So yeah, my thoughts are, it's all right. I mean, I gave it a four, four skulls, because it's not a bad movie, but I can't give it a four and a half or a five because it's just kind of a little bit of snooze fest here and there. Yeah, when it comes to my rating, I gave it a 3.5 skull rating. I just I just didn't really care for this movie very much. It was slow. I, I, I knew as soon as I watched it, I was like, this is not a Lando movie. This is a little too slow. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's not the worst when it comes to being slow but it just it had potential to be better it definitely did but it failed so speaking of failures let's talk about my movie now which is the haunting from 1999 so this movie starts out with a woman named eleanor who is arguing with her sister and her brother-in-law about the house that their deceased mother gave to the sister and so they argue and bitch about that and after her sister gives her mother's car to her. She ends up ordering all three people there out because she also has a nephew who's a total dick. He needs his ass whipped. But once uh, she's alone, she finds an ad in the local paper for volunteers to take part in a study on insomnia at a mansion. And she decides to take the job. Elsewhere, we find Dr. Merrill discussing with his assistant Mary over which volunteers he should use for his study, which he explains actually is an experiment on how people react to fear. Once Eleanor arrives to Hill House, she argues politely with Mr. Dudley, the caretaker, to let her in. After minutes of arguing, she finally enters through the gates of Hill House, where at the door she finds Mr. Dudley's wife, as she makes her way to her room, it's clear that she's instantly drawn to the house. Moments later, Theo arrives and gives Eleanor pretty much kind of hits on her. After the two get to know each other a little better, they both go downstairs and explore and find another room. Then they return to the main entrance and meet Luke and Dr. Merrill and his two assistants, Mary and Todd. Once they get to dinner, they discuss insomnia issues and find out more about each other and learn what they'll be doing for the next few days. After dinner, Dr. Merrill leads his guests to a room 
tell everyone the story of Hill House and how Hugh Crane had built it for his wife and he wished for children which all died at birth. After Dr. Merrill tells the story, his assistant Mary talks about how she fueled evil everywhere and that there's more to the story. As she goes up to examine the piano, one of the strings snaps and cuts her, causing her and Todd to leave for the remainder of the movie. Everyone gets ready for bed. Dr. Merrill tells Luke how Hugh Grant's wife had killed herself in order to scare Luke. Once upstairs, Luke occupies himself with a book and a candy dispenser, while Theo tries to get closer to Nell, who that's uh, Eleanor's nickname, I guess, and she ends up getting asked to go to bed. As Eleanor and Theo are in bed, Luke decides to wander around and is met with Dr. Merrill, who decides to talk for a while. As everything calms down for the night, Eleanor is startled by a screaming Theo in response to a constant mysterious banging on the walls. Eleanor and Theo cower as Luke rushes to see what the screaming is, although he is unaware of any banging. The next morning, everyone tries to talk things out, but Dr. Merrill assures everyone the coldness and the noises were due to the old plumbing. As Eleanor and Luke are filling out papers for Dr. Merrill's research, Luke confides in her that Dr. Merrill must be up to something and that he would get to the bottom of it. Luke soon wanders off talking about Theo, leaving Eleanor alone, where she experiences more paranormal events. Everyone quickly rushes in to see what was going on and finds her scared and concerned over what is happening in the house. While Dr. Merrill and Luke looked around to see what might have startled Eleanor, they end up finding a large portrait of Hugh Crane had been vandalized with blood reading, Welcome Home, Eleanor. Eleanor is appalled at the writing and demands to know who did it, but no one confesses, leaving tension between everyone. Their group soon makes their way to the green room where they find a large unstable spiral staircase and a fountain containing a large statue of Hugh Crane and some more statues of women surrounded by six children. As another night comes, we find Eleanor sleeping, but she soon is awakened by some more noises. As she looks around, she finds a trail of bloody footprints leading her to a hidden library. In the library, she finds logs of hundreds of children that Hugh Crane must have taken into his house, finding that many of them had actually died working for Hugh Crane. She goes to tell Theo, but Theo doesn't believe what she is being told and goes back to bed. Once Eleanor is alone, she starts to brush her hair, but when she stops her hair, parts on its own and Eleanor is deeply frightened once more. The next morning Eleanor finds Dr. Merrill's studies and learns what the experiment actually is. She also finds out that he's been pretending that her behavior is delusional. In the statue garden Luke talks to Theo and seems to have also figured out what Dr. Merrill was doing but when they encounter Eleanor she expresses that it's not 
Dr. Mayo doing everything to the house that indeed it's ghosts. She then insists that home is where the heart is. When she looks up, she sees Hugh, Hugh Crane's wife hanging, but no one else sees it, leading to everyone to think even more that Eleanor is mentally unstable and should go home. Eleanor rushes to the library and finds pictures of Hugh Crane's wife whispering for her to check the fireplace. In the fireplace, she finds a skeleton that comes to life, causing her to run away. Following the voices of children, she tries to go through a door, but is punched by a hand that forms from the door and soon disappears. Eleanor rushes to the rest of the group and concludes that Hugh Crane took children from the town to work at the mills and then never lets them go. As she tells this to Theo, Luke, and Dr. Merrill, they conclude that she's going crazy from emotional distress and fear. As Theo tries talking to Dr. Merrill about her, she she finds that they're in an experiment to study reactions to fear and becomes furious at what the experiment had to had done to Eleanor. Once Eleanor is in bed and Theo finishes comforting her and leaves to bring her tea, the walls form the shape of a face and everything starts falling apart around her. She runs out and looks in the mirror to see Mrs. Crane's face and then runs away once again to a, another room. She's then extremely frightened and runs out of the green room. Then Theo, Luke, and Dr. Merrill go searching for Eleanor. Finally comes to the green room to find Eleanor climbing the spiral staircase. Dr. Merrill goes to save her, but the stairway starts to unhinge, causing Dr. Merrill to desperately and quickly bring Eleanor to safety. Dr. Merrill goes to the green room to examine and take notes and is grabbed by the statue of Hugh Crane, which then starts to fountain out blood. He runs to Theo and Luke to go check on Eleanor. Eleanor's bed cages her in metal beams, and Theo, Luke, and Dr. Merrill desperately try to get in to help. Once they do get in, everyone else finally observes the paranormal aspects of Hill House for the first time. As soon as they get her out, they try to leave, but Hill House makes sure that there's no way of escaping. Nell then runs back to the house, knowing that she's meant to save the children. Everyone runs in looking for her so they can leave, and they finally find her, even after Theo tries to compromise with letting her live with her. Eleanor refuses to leave until she saves the children. Luke, Theo, and Dr. Merrill still try to escape now that they can't leave the house but can't find any way out. Luke then falls into the fireplace, and as he's trying to get out, he gets decapitated by the stone lion. The house is now coming to life, and everything that can is trying to attack the occupants. Finally, the ghost of Hugh Crane finally comes out for a final battle, but as his ghost is being sent to the walls, Eleanor goes along with it, crashing her body against a stone door. She then falls 
to the ground dying. As she dies, the children's spirits are released along with hers. The movie ends with the Dudleys returning and the final shot of the house. So yeah, that's pretty much this whole movie. So when it comes to scores for this shit show, Rotten Tomato gave it a 16 with an audience score of 28. Google gave it an 80%. Budget for this was $80 million with a box office score of $180.2 million. So with that, what are your thoughts on this, Tim? Still another semi-slow pacer. Sorry, but it is. I mean, it's a little bit more like, it almost felt like a rhythm. Like there would be a lull and then something would happen. So at least you had that going. Unlike the other movie where it had a really good beginning and it just kind of dwindled from there the whole movie. It never really picked back up. Yours had a little up and down, up and down. But, mm-hmm. and the CGI effects obviously were a little dated. Um, the house itself was, I don't know, there, there, there were flaws, but it was not a bad storyline. So I get that. So I, as far as like thoughts, it was okay. I, fe- I felt both of them were around the same to me. They both were all right. Um, I like the fact that the other one was from, a, you know, a short story. It was trying to, they stretched it out, but they should have added more to it. But this mm-hmm. one here, kind of like the whole, it felt a little more whole for the movie itself. For like the plot didn't feel like it was lacking a plot. It just felt weird trying to figure it out. So about four skulls on this one I went to. I kind of kept them out even. That's what my thoughts were. It's all right. <laughs> well, we thought different because I seen this movie back when I was a little kid. And I really didn't like it back then. And as now I'm as an adult. My feelings really haven't changed. The story was okay. Not gory by any means. Blood was there. But then again, this is a PG-13 rated movie. The CGI was very laughable even back in 99. I don't care who you are. It made a little bit of no sense to me how Eleanor could just go from trying to save dead children to dying herself. It just, I mean... People could say it's because she got slammed against that door, but I don't I don't see how it didn't look like she got slammed against it that damn hard. I don't know. It could have just been this bad CGI. I don't know. Well, the, the demons let her down to the floor easy. I thought she's just going to get back up. She's unconscious or something. I mean, I had seen it before, too, and I thought the same thing. I remember and I remembered after seeing it and seeing what happened is like, yeah, I thought the same thing the first time. I thought she lived. Why, why would she die? She didn't need to die. But yeah, yeah. And speaking of the ending, it could have been done differently, in my opinion. I kind of felt cheated. So with that being said, I gave this one a two skull rating. It's just like I said, when I saw this as a kid, I didn't care for it. And my feelings didn't change when I'm almost 40. So, (laughs) yeah, it's just a horrible movie. It's just the only thing I liked about it. It's that got that one chick that played Theo in this movie. And then there's owen wilson and then the yeah the three main characters i've seen them in movies but the girl though i really didn't see her in anything other than this yeah the girl that plays eleanor i've never seen her in anything before i i know i've seen her before but i can't place her she's not like an important actor when it comes to that what i think i did not mind about this one as much because of watching it and i watched them back to back when i watched them mm-hmm. is the tempo was better than this it was like it was not that like the first movie had so many lulls where you're you're doing it has something going on and then it's a whole whole scene about the school and with the 
the uh, DTF, whatever lady, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. That was just boring. So I didn't, I felt like the tempo was better here. And the footprints thing, was it just me or was that blood really poorly done for the footprints? I mean, that that Mm -hmm. was like a, it looked like someone literally painted footprints on the floor. It was, yeah. Yeah. Another thing that I just thought of now, I can see why they used plot of this movie for a scary movie too. Because if you watch this movie, then you can go and watch something stupid like Scary Movie 2. You're going to see the plots are the same. Just one's a horror movie. The other's a comedy based on horror films, pretty much. But uh, yeah, I just don't have much to say about either of these films. So that being said, if you have any movie suggestions, as always, you can email us at whatinthehorrorpodcast at gmail.com. We also still have it. Our Twitter, that's What in the Horror Podcast, all one word. You can also join our Discord. Make sure you hit that follow. And if you got any suggestions on like how we can update our podcast, make it more enjoyable for you, email us. But as always, I've been Lando. And I've been Tim. And we are the fuck out of here. You were listening to What in the Horror. See you next time. <laughs>